Hey there, Angel Donovan with another episode of Dating, Sex and Relationships, the show where we look at dating, sex and relationships in a way that translates to results. In my mind, in the dating skills review world, that's coming from a quality information perspective, avoiding low quality information. We look for the truth from experts with years of research behind them or years of experience on the ground behind them so that we know that we're getting a perspective that has been validated by that experience or by that research. And we look at absolutely any perspective we can find, whether it's porn stars, psychologists, or in the case of today, an economic analyst background. Every kind of perspective we can take gets us closer to the absolute truth. We also focus on practical action-based advice because I know from years and years of experience in this, information is great. Having great quality information is really important. But the hardest, hardest part of this is the change, is taking action. So every episode has takeaways that I want you to go out into the world with and apply to your life. Before I get into today's episode, I wanna talk about something I've been working on for quite a while on this problem of taking action. Because I've been working with guys for 15 years on this and I know a lot of you listen to this show, but you don't take action. I get emails about it. And I hate that, you hate that, so I continuously think about it. And I'm taking another shot, a big shot, at fixing that again. We came up with a solution that tries to eliminate thinking and trying to consciously learn this as much as possible. Because we found that too much thinking breeds hesitation and it breeds non-action. It's kind of like information overload. So it's counterintuitive, but it's true. Sometimes the more information you pile in, the less you take action. So what we've developed is a step-by-step program of 30 challenges, taking you from zero experience or intermediate experience to results. It's designed to implant new behaviors in you through just doing the challenges. There's no thinking, there's no real studying. It's just about getting comfortable with taking an action and making that become habit by doing it in a challenge format, which is a fun format to do it in. It also aims to shortcut the process of learning by just pushing you to only do the important things, the high, high quality actions that make a difference and just forgetting the rest. So we've only put stuff that I've learned over the years makes a difference to people when I've been coaching them. And it just pushes your comfort zone out inch by inch without any big jumps, which is where people get more anxious, hesitation, and they procrastinate and they don't do it, right? That's what holds people back. We've named this whole thing Attraction Implant simply because the main goal is to implant attractive behaviors into you, to push them into you instead of having you learn them. And becoming that attractive guy, that better version of yourself is the harder part of this whole learning process. The way it's designed is by the end of the 30 challenges, you should be able to meet, attract, and date women you're actually attracted to. It's as simple as that. If you'd like to learn more about this, go check it out. All the details are at datingskillsreview.com forward slash implant, I-M-P-L-A-N-T, implant. Okay, let's get into today's episode. So today is about advice that comes from surveys on women using actual national census statistics-like methods and approaches to understand how women think about sex, relationships, and dating, and on and on. So it's another approach to try and get at the real truth. The surveys used are actually designed by census experts, decision analysis companies. So this is obviously something we haven't looked at before, and it's going to provide a new 
pretty awesome perspective. So today's guest is Shanti Feldon. She's an ex-analyst from Wall Street, and she's really got a background in economics and analysis rather than the traditional things that we've had on this show, perhaps like psychology and so on. Actually, pretty similar to my background in management consulting. So a bit more of an analytical, rational look at this, the subject. She has a number of best-selling books behind her. She has sold over 2 million copies of them in 21 different languages worldwide since 2004. So they're really successful. The one for men, which looks at the inner lives of women, is called For Men Only, A Straightforward Guide to the Inner Lives of Women, and was last revised in 2013. Now, the context she's coming from is really a context from strong family values and monogamous relationships. That's where Shanti comes from. Another thing to mention about her is that she comes from a strong Christian background. And I know that we have a lot of Christian listeners out there. We haven't had any discussion about religion or had anyone that comes from that kind of background, but I know that you guys are out there. And of course, a large percentage of the population of women are Christian, so the ones you're going to meet, they're going to be Christian also. So it's yet another important perspective that you should get. And Shanti helps to bring that perspective also in this interview. Okay, so if you want to get the details of this interview in an easy, done-for-you format to take away links, everything mentioned, the transcript and the download of the MP3, more about today's guest, you can go to datingskillsreview.com forward slash podcast and pick out the episode there and get all the stuff. If you want to get it in your email inbox, go to datingskillsreview.com forward slash newsletter, pop your email in there, and it will automatically arrive in your email inbox every time we put out an episode. Now let's get into this interview. I'm Angel Donovan, and this is the Dating Skills Podcast. This is a 14-year ongoing mission to discover the truth about what works in dating, sex, and relationships to become a better man. Join me as I leave no stone unturned. Chase down every expert, role model, and mentor with insights to get us to that goal as fast as possible. This show is about bringing you the best of that information so that you can take it in and change your life for the better, step by step, episode by episode. Hi, Shanti. Thanks so much for joining us today. It's great to be with you. First of all, I wanted to get a little bit of perspective on how you started all of this and how you got into it. Was there some kind of event or something that led you to skip from the economics and financial world into the relationships world? Yeah, it was the funniest thing. I had been working on Wall Street. That's my background. I'm trained as an analyst and was working in that sort of financial sector. Moved down to Atlanta from New York, which is is where I live now in Atlanta. And I had this, I was working as a consultant again in the financial arena and had this chance to write a couple of novels for fun, nights and weekends. And one of my main characters in this novel that I was writing was a man. And I didn't know how to put thoughts in his head. I didn't know what a guy would be thinking <laughs> and in some pretty personal situations, but I had to put thoughts in his head. He was one of my main characters. So this whole thing started initially because I would just kind of ask some guy friends or my husband, here's the scene in this book. What would you be thinking if this was you? And as they started telling me what they'd really be thinking, half the time I'm like, seriously? Like I was really shocked by some of the things I was hearing. And because I have this analytical background, 
eventually, as I did more of these interviews, I realized, okay, this can't just stop with this novel. I am learning way too much that women really need <laughs> to know. Yes, exactly. <laughs> did you say so you learn a lot about your husband? Yes, I did. As a matter of fact, he jokes that he was person X or whatever you call it when cool. you have diseases spread, you know, person, patient number one. He was the one who really helped me understand some of this stuff from the beginning. It's just stuff that normally women never think to ask. And a lot of guys really don't necessarily know how to articulate. Yeah. Would you say your own relationships better because of this? Is there, have you seen any changes over time? And how long have you guys been together? Oh, yeah. Jeff and I have been married for 20 years. We just celebrated number 20, which is crazy. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. And it has dramatically changed our relationship. We used to have what I would call a pretty, pretty good marriage, but there were plenty of issues. I mean, and fairly big issues, lots of big conflicts and lots of nights where one or the other of us would be sleeping in the guest room or on the couch because <laughs> we're so upset with the other person. Right. And it was interesting. Once we started learning this stuff, we realized that so much of this kind of the hidden stuff that men feel but don't necessarily know how to say or that women feel, it's usually stuff that we kind of think the other person already knows Half the time, when I started doing this research more officially and interviewing and surveying men, and I'd come home and I'd talk to Jeff and I'd say, guess what this guy told me? And he tells me later, he was sort of like, what about that did you not get before? (laughs) Once you realize some of this stuff and you realize what the other person doesn't know, you start giving each other the benefit of the doubt. And you start really being able to help yourself rather than kind of being confused half the time. Yeah, I guess it's encouraged a clearer communication with you where you just got a larger area of communication. And before, what are areas where you kind of didn't, there were gaps, spaces where you you didn't communicate with each other? Here's the funny thing about this. And I think this really is one of the reasons that the books and the research has hit such a nerve. Everybody knows that communication about things is important, right? We don't, none of us want to have gaps and we don't necessarily realize there are are gaps. And suddenly, once I started hearing, whoa, wait a minute, this is really what you think? I knew more to to ask and to talk about stuff I never even would have thought was a gap in communication. And often in communication, one of the things that I found over the years, you know, not being a psychologist, I was just an analyst on Wall Street, right? I didn't realize that so much of the issue is not what you say, but how you say it. That makes a huge difference for both men and women. And there are just hot buttons that we didn't know existed before. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So what do you think it is that you do differently than other writers in the relationships area? Is there anything you think, you know, you've got a kind of different niche or, you know, you take a different perspective on it? Yeah, it's it's actually very different um, because what I do is is truly not try to cover the same territory that these wonderful relationship experts have been covering for years. I mean, I'm not a counselor. I'm I'm not a psychologist. And there are many people out there who have been writing and speaking and thinking about this and counseling and doing marriage therapy or whatever for years. And God bless them, right? I mean, I can't add anything to that. But what we do is basically we're researchers. And what we do is dig out those little things that you had no idea that you didn't know. It's all the stuff that you don't know that you don't know. And it's all of those little things that once you know them, 
has this enormous impact. Now, I'm not an expert on conflict resolution, right? You need to go to a counselor for that. But what I can tell you is those inner needs and those inner fears and insecurities that are the hot buttons that cause the conflict to begin with. So a lot of what we do is really, it's very preventative. Right, yeah, yeah. So landmines that people haven't thought of. Those are the things that kill you, right? It's a landmine you don't see. <laughs> exactly. It's the landmine that you step on. You didn't know it was there and it blows your legs yeah. off. Yeah, exactly. So let's talk about the surveys a little bit and the sources of information you've drawn on, because that's one of the unique aspects of it. How did you approach these surveys? Well, basically, what I needed to do was to test whether what I was finding in all these interviews was true or not. Like if I had eventually what I did is interview and, and uh, do focus groups with, you know, a few hundred men, for example, early on. And I'm like, okay, I think I've heard out of 200 men, I think I've heard the same thing like 180 times. (laughs) And so I'm forming this hypothesis that such and such is true. And I worked with a survey designer. He used to be the chief of survey design at the U.S. Census Bureau because survey design is a whole nother science and it's very easy to get wrong. And we really needed the results to be nationally representative. We really needed them to be rigorous because what I was digging out was surprising. So if it's true, you know, kind of need to sh- prove it. And, and so what I was doing was testing. I think I'm hearing this. I wonder what percentage of men that applies to. And so we would do these big surveys that were nationally representative of men. And it was, it was basically a, a good representation of racial background, religious background, age, geographic right. background, a lot of stuff that you don't think right, about. Right, so it has to represent the whole of the population. Exactly. And what right. we found in general is that on most of the subjects, it was kind of a 75-25% split, about 75 to 80% of men or eventually when we did the surveys of women, would say one way and about 25% wouldn't. And that's really important. When I do, I do a lot of workshops now, we do a lot of seminars and conferences and both personal world and kind of the corporate marketplace. And it's really important to say, look, by definition, if 75% said one way, 25% didn't, right? There's, we're making generalizations. There's always going to be exceptions. And the key though, is to recognize okay, if 75% of men think such and such, it's pretty likely that my partner, my husband, my boyfriend, my son is in that ballpark and I can have my eyes opened to start looking for it and see, is that true of him or not? And in most cases, we identified about seven things, eight things that women tend not to know about men, about a similar number that men tend not to know about women. And In general, most people will see themselves in those things, but there's always going to be exceptions. Yeah, yeah. And so that's the key to the surveys is figuring out what we could make the generalizations about. And frankly, there were on every project, on every single survey that we've ever done, I spend $30,000, $50,000 on this huge nationally representative survey, and I am convinced, based on what my interviews are, that something's going to come out. And in every survey we've ever done, there's been one or two things that didn't come out on the survey, so I can't include it. Yeah, yeah. You, you don't win them all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, I guess you've had some surprises as well, some things that came back and you're like, wow. Oh, no, all of them were. I mean, you know, anything that made it into the books was something that either I didn't know as a woman, most women don't know, or that men didn't know. Excellent. 
So a bit more context, like uh, when did you start these surveys and when has it been over 10 years and like how many people have you done over time? Is it you know, thousands? Yeah, I just added it up recently and I'm like, seriously, wow. Yeah, we started this in 2001. So it has been a long time now. And I mean, for me, that seems like a long time. <laughs> it is. And um, yeah, it is. And it's interesting when you have, you know, 13 or 14 years worth of, of data built up, that itself gives you a pretty good baseline. But also we're at close to 15,000 men and women that have provided that input, either interviews or surveys, focus groups, and then about 3,000 teenagers because we've also done the research down into the teenage years. So we've now interviewed and surveyed from age 15 up to 75. Wow. Great. Nice set of data. Yeah. Is this going to continue? Is this something you're going to continue? Yeah. I mean, we're always in the middle of one or more research projects. I've got two going on right now. So Sounds like you found your passion. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you why it's a passion. It's a passion because we see that it makes this massive difference in relationships. It's the kind of thing that torpedoes a relationship that doesn't have to be torpedoed, whether that's a single or whether that's someone who's married or someone who's in a really significant partnership. There are so many things that cause relationship problems that didn't have to be there. And I am really, really passionate about trying to save those relationships, especially the marriages. Once you've made that commitment, you have kids, that's a big deal. Yeah, it causes more damage, a lot more damage when it blows up. Exactly. Yeah. So how would you compare your perspective that you've developed through these surveys compared to some of the other things that we see? So to give you an idea of some of the things we've had on the show, I mean, there's mainstream culture, whatever that is, like on the TV, the films, all of that kind of stuff. There's a lot of evolutionary psychology out there, which is quite popular. There's social sciences and there's a sex positive community. How would you say you're different to those or where, how would you describe your perspective? It's interesting. Basically, everything that we try to uh, do in the research, it's all what we see in the research driven. So you can say something is science driven, but science can include anything. You know, for example, evolutionary psychology that you mentioned. The difference is, is that evolutionary psychology is theory based because you can't exactly replicate the conditions from evolution from however long ago. And so what we're focused on is measuring what we can see today. And that's when we talk about something being scientific and science-based, that's what we mean. It is all entirely based on primary surveys that are measuring what can be quantified in sort of those inner needs and fears and desires and what lights somebody up, what can be quantified today. By the way, when we talk about sort of a scientific basis for this, it turns out that neuroscience has actually provided some reasons for some of the things that we've been seeing for the last 13 or 14 years that we didn't know why. When, when we released For Women Only and For Men Only, those are the two book titles, when we released those two books back in 2004, 2005, 2006, we could say hey, this is what 80% of men think. I have no idea why. <laughs> you know, I can't tell you where this comes from, but this is what they think. And now it's interesting. Brain science has developed enough that the neuroscientists have often identified the reason. There is literally a difference in the brain structure between men and women that causes a lot of these things. So that's kind of the basis for what we do. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I don't know if you've seen the work of Meredith Chivers, Chivers, I never know how to say her name. 
where she's looking. Have you, have you seen that? I've seen that some stuff? of that stuff, but I haven't. It's just interesting for me because basically her work contradicts some of the survey-based data. So a lot of scientists, including yourself, are doing surveys and basing stuff on what people say. And her work's based on physiological responses. And, she, you know, she'll question them and then, like, see what's going on with the body and be like, Hmm. So I just wanted to bring that up. And as a context, I think I think there's a role for both. Surveys offer us a lot of uh, information, but we also kind of have to look at the physiological thing because some areas people, for some reason, they don't want to talk about it, even when it's anonymous, because all of these surveys you're doing anonymous, right? Yeah, it's all anonymous. Now, here's the thing about what she said that's totally valid, which is that when you are doing certain kinds of surveys, if you do them incorrectly, there is no way you're going to get good data. And I haven't seen her work in detail, but I've seen others like it that have pulled out certain other surveys that have been done. And I totally agree. You know what? You call people on the phone and you ask them questions about their sex life. I question whether you're going to get really good, reliable data, to be quite frank. You have to design it properly. And one of the things that we have actually done that has been really helpful over the years is we've done different kinds of surveys and tested different groups in sort of, or tested similar groups in different ways. And we have seen some same things come out from completely independently done, very different methodology. And when you have that, and then you compare it and overlay it with the brain science, where those are physiological responses to certain things, you kind of think, you know, that's a threefold reason why I should narrow down to thinking that some of these things are probably accurate. Now, maybe not right. all, but yeah. but you can get closer. But you got cross-checking in there. That's what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. Well, people are taking this stuff seriously. They're changing how they do relationships based on them. And that's a huge responsibility. And that's also one of the reasons that's, I guess that's a fourth cross-check come to think of it because it works. Yeah. And your books have sold over 2 million copies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we're talking about a lot of people doing and this, twenty so. and twenty three languages. That's the other thing. Right. And it's because there is such ethnic diversity and such racial diversity and representation in the data. I think that's the other reason why they've been translated around the world. Is that I actually have gotten calls from people, and it was funny. I I had a friend who was doing some business in China, and was doing agriculture way out in the middle of nowhere. And they were talking about kind of offline. They were talking about some relationship seminars or whatever. And she mentioned some of my work, my research. And they were like, ah, can you bring her in? So such and such does, stops happening. And I'm like, okay, this happens in the rice paddies in China. <laughs> this is pretty universal. You know, it's a funny little story. I, I had a, a coaching company for women in Shanghai about eight years ago. It was funny because we were going to do the male market and they weren't as interested as the women. The women just started coming to our seminars. So we're like, OK, <laughs> you know. Right. Yep. Follow the business. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, cool. So let's talk about women a bit more. What did you find that the biggest concerns are from the women perspective in relationships? The things that they think about most and focusing a bit more on the things that you think guys don't think that they're thinking about. <laughs> the guys don't necessarily recognize. Well, the guys, of course, they joke that that's everything. Like, we don't know anything that women are thinking. And actually, that's one of the biggest misunderstandings to knock down is men. And I'm sorry here because you're a guy, but I'm going to kind of bust you a little bit, which is that I, I hear privately that men kind of think women are random. 
you, it's like you've got a machine and you pull the lever this day and you get this response. And then you pull that same lever the next day, you get a totally different response. We just had one of the guys in our coaching community, one of the clients, he was talking about this big post about it. It's like, I never know what they're going to do. It's random. It's, it's very common. It's a, it's a very common complaint. Yeah. It's a very common complaint for men. And here's the problem with that is that, first of all, it turns out, believe it or not, it's not true. And I can, you know, that's one of those things that I can show you in the data, but it's a common perception. And here's the reality is that the funny way of putting it is if you're getting a different response when you pull that same lever the next day, you're pulling it differently or you're pulling a different lever or something because... Or maybe there's a different context. Or there's a different context. Now, here's the thing. It turns out that if men and most boys from the time that boys are teenagers, apparently, they start this thinking that women are somehow random. So therefore, there's always going to be some part of her responses that I'm just never going to understand. And what that does is make guys more apt to assign something confusing to that category and just kind of give up like, well, that's one of those random things. I won't look any deeper. As opposed to If you assume there is a reason for every single thing that a woman does and says, just like there is for a man. So if I look at it enough, I will find it. And then you learn a few things and you go, okay, so next time there's something confusing, you say, okay, Shanti promised me there is a reason (laughs) for this. And then you look deeper. You don't give up like you might have before. You look deeper and you say, oh, you know what? It was because of this. Like, let's just say for the sake of argument that she bit your head off when you said something and you're like, hey, you know, what did I say? And you might've been like, oh, it was just random. It was that time of the month. It was, you know, whatever. And then you, you say, no, it's not random. Shanti promised me I'm going to look deeper. And you realize, you know what? I actually said that same thing yesterday and that same thing the day before. And maybe she's tired of being criticized. And I wouldn't have thought of it as criticism, but maybe that's it. And then you say, I'm sorry, did that come across as criticism? And she says, yes. And, you know, you have a good conversation. I guarantee you something. The next time you are tempted, when she bites your head off or there's some weird reaction, the next time you're tempted to say, that was random, you go, you know what? It wasn't random last time. Let me look deeper. And then you find the reason you start being incentivized to continue to look. And you know what? That is exactly what women need. They need you to push just a little bit more to figure out what's behind this. And that is a huge thing that makes a woman feel loved. Well, that's nice because it's it's a lot more empowering to think you can figure something out than you can. It's it's a terrible (laughs) thing. You know, I believe everything is figuring out. It doesn't matter what we're talking about. And certainly in relationships, that's what I've seen. That's a great point. Just a mindset you should always be thinking. Well, and here's another thing. Another one of the surprises. Another one of the things that a lot of guys don't know about women. It turns out that men have a tendency because, you know, you guys are performance driven. What can I do to show her love? What can I do to make her happy? That's something that matters to guys. Because of that, you have a tendency to try to go, you think, for the big things. So, for example let's just say it's a married couple, for example, he's thinking, you know, I may not be very good with my words. I may not know how to say I love you properly or make, have all the flowery terms, but you know what? I can provide, I can work 70 hours a week to provide for my family. And that's the way I say, I love you. And so they're working hard. They're trying, they're doing these big things. And it turns out that for most women, and again, not all, it turns out this is about 
70% of women, that that's actually sometimes counterproductive because it turns out that for most women, it's those little day-to-day things and his presence that matters most. And the fact that he's present in their life and engaged with the, the wife or the family. Can I just stop you for a second? Because the topic of presence keeps coming up lately. It comes up in coaching. It's coming up in the guests like you. It seems like it's a hot topic right now. How would you describe presence? What is that? So it turns out that presence is one of the greatest builders of friendship. And friendship between a husband and wife, a boyfriend and girlfriend or whatever, has got to be, at least in our culture, the key for a good relationship. And I would argue in any culture, if you have a good relationship, ultimately you're friends first and foremost, right? It turns out the greatest predictor of friendship, friendship in any context, is not what you think it is. If I were to ask you what's the greatest predictor of friendship, you'd probably say things like shared values or similar interests or similar temperaments that kind of fit together well. Turns out it's none of those things. Those are kind of important in the margins. The greatest predictor of friendship is geographic proximity. You're the best friends with the people you see the most often and you spend the most time with. And we all know that's true because we've all had really, really, really close friends who've moved away and you still love each other. I think I'm different. I'm sorry. I I break the model. (laughs) I'm I'm a digital nomad. I never stop moving. And all my best friends are always doing the same. And actually, it's because I keep moving. It's difficult to establish that kind of relationship. But I agree for 99% of people. Okay. Well, remember what I said about that 80-20 Exactly. Right? Exactly. There's always an exception. So when you were talking about presence, I was just wondering if you looked at all at the work of uh, Olivia Fox-Caban. I don't think I... The charisma myth. Because she talks about presence in a similar light to you. So I was just wondering, cross-checking there. No, and I'll confess something. I actually have found... Because my primary role is as a primary researcher, where I have to listen to the guy I'm sitting next to on the airplane and be completely unprejudiced by anything that I've read from somebody else, I actively avoid reading other people's studies because I'm not a psychologist. And that's actually one of my greatest skill sets as just a straightforward analyst. I have to have that input without having some preconceived notions so I can just hear it directly. Absolutely. Yeah, that's really important. Unfortunately, all the folks that you've mentioned, I've had to avoid reading a lot of their stuff because I found that it really does mess with my mind. Yeah, it's really good for that because, I mean, that causes so many problems in science. Just in science, I mean, there's so many examples of that where there's preconceived notions and studies don't get looked at properly and all of this stuff. So, yeah, I really appreciate that that you take that approach to it. Yeah, so unfortunately, the answer is no, I haven't read her stuff, (laughs) unfortunately. Excellent. What else would you say in terms of uh, women that we miss in general? So here's another thing. Let me conclude that thought with that whole idea of presence. Here's what confuses a guy, because he's like, what does that mean? And, and that's the part of the problem is that we've heard things like communication is important. Being present is important. What on earth does that mean? So what we've one of the other things that we've found for a guy to to really make a difference in how his wife or his girlfriend views him is not just be present, but learning how to listen. Because obviously you can be sitting in the same room together and that's nice. But for a woman, that sense of that he's listening and that he cares about what I have to say or that she's just getting a chance to get stuff off her chest, that's emotionally really important for women. But guys tend to think, you know, I'm listening. I let her talk until she's run out of words. (laughs) 
So I'm so I'm listening. Now, here's the thing that a lot of um, psychologists, I think, have focused on over the years. They talk about active listening, reflecting back to her what she said. And that's nice, but that's not what I saw in the research as mattering the most to women. It's not like it's a bad thing. But what I saw mattering most was something completely different. And that's that he doesn't listen to the problem that she's sharing so much as he listens to her feelings about the problem. Guys tend to have a tendency when emotions come up, you tend to filter out all those jangling emotions so you can focus in on the problem so that you can help her solve it, which is totally understandable. And that's the way you're wired and that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. But the problem is, at least at the beginning, is all those jangling emotions you're trying to filter out. That's what she kind of most wants you to listen to. And so it's going to sound really weird to any man listening to this, but you kind of have to filter out the problem first. Ignore the problem because otherwise you're going to go straight to a solution she's not going to feel listened to. And you're going to hear that. I don't want you to fix it. I just want you to listen thing. Instead, ignore, like just say, for example, that she's got her best friend did something that embarrassed her in, you know, in front of a group and she's so upset. Ignore that and how you fix it for the moment and instead draw out those feelings. You know, I'm so sorry. What did you think people said? What did you feel when everybody started laughing? Did you think that that might cause a problem with those friends down the road? Like pull out those feelings and she's going to feel more heard and you'll see her relax. And at that point, then you can deal with the actual issue. But she may or may not even need a fix at that point. It's astounding. If a guy learns this one thing and applies it, she is going to feel so loved. I mean, that is a guy she will run through fire for. That's a great point. And would you say that guys should not really listen to the words as much? I think they do, but I'm just like thinking of how practically to kind of implement this. Because, again, we hear this a lot. And I often find that the guys are saying, well, she said this, she said that. And I'm like, well, don't you're always listening for the words. And they'll even say, like, she, she lied to me and these kind of accusations because they weren't listening to the emotional undertone of it. Like, for instance, <laughs> she was sounding very hesitant. Like, she's just like, yeah, I'd like to meet up. Kind of obviously got a completely different value to it. It's basically saying, for whatever reason, I'm very hesitant <laughs> about meeting up, you know, and you should expect that I'm probably going to like um, not. I'm going to call it the last minute or something's going to happen, right? Let me give you an example for a guy who's wondering about that. Because I imagine that's very common, right, for guys to be like, what on earth? So here's a quick primer. Guys' brains are wired to see actions. Women's brains are wired to see body language. This is a, obviously a huge generalization. generalization. But in general women will give subtle cues because they would see those subtle cues with other women. If you're hesitant on the phone with another woman, the woman is going to pick up on that. Now, what was, is that woman going to do? She is going to ask the question, you know, let's just say it's two women who are talking about whether to have a meeting. Yeah, I think that's probably a good idea. Now, the woman who she's talking to is going to pick up on that immediately and ask the question to say, you know, you sound a little bit hesitant. Is there something I, I should know? Is there some other way that we should try to arrange this? And the first woman is going to feel cared for in a way. Like she was putting out that hesitancy because she was kind of hoping the other person would pick up on it. Here's the problem. We women will do that with guys and then get mad that you don't, <laughs> you don't pick up on it. 
here's what I always tell guys is to recognize that she really does want you to dig a little bit. So if you pick up on anything, it is totally okay to say, you know, you sound a little bit hesitant. Can we talk about that for a minute? You know, I'd really like to see you again. Is there something we can do that would maybe make this a little bit more fun? Like, you know, maybe we don't do dinner. Let's just get together for coffee. Oh, yeah. You know what? <laughs> I was thinking, you know, dinner was a little bit much, but yeah, let's meet for coffee tomorrow. Would a different time be better? You know what? Honestly, if I could get together at eight before I go to work, that would be so much. Great. Let's meet at Starbucks. And you've just called out something that before you would have been confused by. Great. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> It's just one example. <laughs> so uh, one of the other ones I picked up on from your book was how easy is it for women to not feel loved? Yeah, this is a big deal for women that men often don't see because women can look very together. And, you know, a lot of guys think, wow, she's way out of my league or whatever. She's very confident. And you know what? All of that is just a surface. And I'd love to share that men have that surface thing, too. We can get that in a minute. But on the inside, women have this question that's basically, am I lovable? Am I special? Is anyone ever going to love me for who I am on the inside? And so because of that, they're looking for signals, that am I lovable kind of signal. And so, yeah, you can say some things, but if you send a signal, like, let's just say you have a conflict and you're like, I'm out of here and you withdraw, you could be doing that because you need some time to process. That's a guy thing. A lot of women need to understand. Guys need time to process. But when you say, I'm out of here, she now, as you walk away, it stirs this, uh, are we okay? And because it's like, am I lovable? Does he really care about me? That's what's going on in her heart. It makes a huge difference. If this is a relationship that you want to preserve, it makes a huge difference. If you will just say something like, look, I'm angry. I need to get some space to think about it, but I want you to know we're okay. I'm going to come back. We'll talk about this at some point, but I just can't think right now, but listen, we're okay. I'll, I'll talk to you later. That whew, makes all the difference in the world. Great, great. It seemed like also that this was a lot in the context of marriage when I was reading about it. And one of the things I picked up on was you were talking about how when men get married, they kind of consider it, it's kind of like a done deal versus <laughs> yeah. the women are wondering day to day, how's the relationship going? Yes, exactly. I think you guys, when you all get married, there's some sort of a thing that clicks in your head. You're like, okay, did that one on with the next, <laughs> on with the next thing to conquer. And the reality for a woman, because of that private question, that underground, am I lovable question, she needs to know the answer to that question every day and will for the rest of her life. You don't necessarily think, does she love me? Like once you get married, that's kind of out the door, you know, onto the next thing. She needs to know, does he love me? Would he choose me all over again every day? So if you go into a marriage recognizing that, you'll be set up really, really well to answer that question well every day and not think that you can just take it for granted. And it's really, truly little things that matter. It's not the big, huge ones. I mean, literally, you reach over, you take her hand when you're walking across a parking lot. That says, I would choose you all over again. That's what she needs to know. Yeah, great point. Great point. So what other big things have we missed? That Well, let's, I'd love to talk about guys. Yeah. And I'd love to, since we're running out of time, I'd love to talk about uh, what women need to know about men. Yeah, cool. So is this stuff that men can do 
or no, this is like, all stuff that do you is any of your audience women? No, it's mostly men. I mean, honestly, there mostly are women men. that there are women that contact me and listen to it a lot, <laughs> even though it's it's nearly all for men, um, but they get a lot out of it apparently. Okay, well, let me tell the men something. One of the seminars we we recently did, Jeff and I do relationship seminars, conferences. One of the ones we recently did, which cracked me up, and I think we're going to use this a lot more, was for men only. And the title was what your wife or girlfriend doesn't know about you and you don't know about you either. (laughs) And it is really critical for guys to know some of the things that women have absolutely no clue about them. Let me tell you one of the main things that a lot of men told me as we started digging it out, that they would say things like, you know, that is how I think, but I, I couldn't have put my finger on it. So here's one of the biggest things that we identified in the research about men. Men have a completely different primary emotional need than women do. You know that that need that I talked about in women that is this am I lovable kind of question, right? That's kind of the, the underlying question in a woman's heart. Well, the question in a guy's heart is completely different. They're like, yeah, lovable, shmovable, you know, whatever. But for a guy, the question is, Am I able? Am I adequate? Do I measure up in what I do? And because of that, there is a self-doubt that guys have that is like a raw nerve. And it's basically this kind of do I measure up kind of nerve. And guys described it as feeling like... um, a lot of men described it as the imposter complex. Like, I want to be great at what I do. If I'm a salesman, I want to be a fantastic salesman. If I'm a boyfriend, I want to be a fantastic boyfriend. If I'm a dad, I want to be a great dad. But I'm really not sure that I know exactly what I'm doing, and I hope nobody finds out, <laughs> you know, that imposter complex. And here's the thing that so many women don't know about you guys that, and I think guys don't necessarily put it into words either, is that that sense of insecurity, that vulnerability, that self-doubt, it's like a raw nerve and she can hit it without ever intending to. So when, for example, she says, why did you, like, let's just say that you were supposed to be meeting at such and such a place and you changed your mind and she comes in and says, why are we meeting here? You know, kind of giving the impression to you, this dump, you know, why are we, why are we this place? And you kind of find yourself getting a little upset. Like all it was was a question. Why are we meeting here? But you, there's something in you that's a little bit angry. It turns out it's because she's hitting that, that nerve that like, I want to make her really happy. I want to be her hero, but I doubt that I can be. Am I good enough for this gal? And listen, that feeling it doesn't go away in men. It doesn't matter whether they've been married 50 years. The men in that group still had that same kind of feeling. I want to be a great husband, but am I? And so it turns out that one of the keys to a great relationship with a woman for you guys is to know that that anger that you have, that feeling of ouch, that that's a legitimate feeling. And the problem is we women would never know it unless you tell us that. We women will never know that we will keep hitting that nerve, hurting your feelings. I mean, not that any of you guys ever say it hurts my feelings, but you know what I mean? It That kind of thing is so critical for you to say, if I'm getting angry, 
it's probably because I felt this sting of disrespect and knowing that respect is a man's greatest emotional need. And that is a legitimate thing that you guys can help us as women learn. Yeah. So in that situation, what would be the good response of the guy? She comes in, she's like, what are we meeting for here? Yeah. You know what? I'll tell you what Jeff has done that is made all the difference in the world. Now, it doesn't necessarily work if it's a really early stage relationship, right? Because you don't have that basis of friendship. You don't have any kind of mutual relationship to be able to say something. But once you do, once you do have a little more of a friendship, once you've known each other for a few months, that's when you can do what my husband has started to do with me, which is he will stop and he'll say, you know, I know you didn't mean to, and that's really important is to sort of recognize that this is something we just don't know. He's like, I know you didn't mean to, but you know what? When you said that, it kind of makes me feel like you idiot, <laughs> you know, comma, you dodo. And usually I'm like, I'm so sorry. I had no idea. And you know what reason that that's important is because that builds my awareness. And if I care about this guy, which of course with my husband, I do, I try not to do that next time. And what I see in dating relationships, as I've been studying singles and dating relationships, is that to a degree that a guy can say those kinds of things, honestly, and to the degree that she responds well, instead of kind of blowing it off, that's the degree to which he knows that he really has a potential good relationship here. Because you don't want to be in a long-term relationship who really doesn't give a rip about what you think. Yeah, exactly. This ability to communicate is definitely essential to relationships surviving, <laughs> I guess. Uh, if you can't be direct about these kind of things, then... Well, and it's essential to, to the woman. Let me tell you, this is the kind of thing that builds intimacy. It's the kind of thing that builds that sense that, okay, we've really got something here that's worth being real. That's right. As yeah. opposed to something else that's just another surface relationship. Most of your audience, I'm assuming if they are singles, they are not looking for just another empty hookup. If they're watching something like this, they want a good long-term relationship. And if that's the case, then being willing to be vulnerable enough to say, why is this upsetting me? And if we've had this relationship now for a few months and I can kind of say, I know you didn't mean it that way, but can I tell you something you've said a couple of times that actually hurts a little bit? And she's probably going to be like, Whoa, what? And you know, every now and then you say, why did you do this? And it's like, I know you didn't mean it this way, but for a guy, it kind of feels like you're saying you idiot, you know, and you can laugh, but you're really conveying a serious message and say, you know, for men, our greatest need is to feel respected. <laughs> I know that might seem silly, but it is, it's important to me. And I'd like this to see how we do as friends. And I feel like friends should be able to share that. And you know what? She's going to feel, wow, this this guy, is, he's willing to talk about his feelings. Right. Which is a slightly risky behavior. That's what that's what guys think. Very. Yeah. So you tend to stand out a lot. And the worst thing to do is not say anything. Oh, well, the worst thing to do is get angry. Yeah. <laughs> you know, make a big emotional scene about it. But, the, you know, the second worst thing is just be all quiet about it and maybe sulk or whatever that, that means. Yeah. So definitely just step in there and basically take control of it. I know it sounds funny. It seems like a big risk and it feels like a very, very big risk. I think once a guy tries it, he'll realize, you know what, that was the best possible thing I could have done. And it'll be a great incentive to have that kind of vulnerability next time. We're running out of time. However, I did want to just touch on marriage because I know you've looked at the divorce rates and all this kind of stuff and you've got some interesting stuff that came out there. What would you say the highlights are from that work? 
by far the most important thing, especially for any audience of singles, is to recognize that so much of what we believe about marriage being in trouble is complete hogwash. It turns out that we've built up this kind of conventional wisdom, this conventional understanding that there's a 50% divorce rate. And it turns out, I I wrote this book called The Good News About Marriage, because I had been looking at this for years and years. And it took years and years to understand it enough to actually realize what I was seeing in the data. It is really complicated. But a really simplified understanding that is true, that is accurate, is that there never has been anything close to an actual 50% divorce rate ever. We've never gotten close to that number. Now, that number has been projected. And if you see in the newspaper researcher so-and-so from university such-and-such projects a 40 to 50% divorce rate, take a pen and circle the word projects. It's always something that they're thinking we're going to hit. We've never gotten close. I think we need to start revising our projections because the divorce rate has actually been falling pretty substantially. It hit a peak in 1980 after no-fault divorce came in. It's come down 30% since then. And now there have been some people that sort of take issue with that number, But they have to do all sorts of modeling and all sorts of assumptions to take issue with that number. And I look at the actual number and say, no, the actual numbers have come down more than 30%. And it's still falling. Do you know where the rate is based on these calculations? Well, it depends on what you mean by the divorce rate. But let's just say the most simple one. What percentage of people have been divorced? That's the easiest one. It's about 30% of women and about 22% of men. It's a very low number compared to what we think it is. I'm just doing my head like wondering, is that because there are less women? Well, no, it's because it's because it's because if you are married for 50 years, it's more likely that the men will pass away. Oh, okay. And that women will get remarried. That's you not know? good news. <laughs> <I'm> sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Both men's and women, if you look at it from a perspective of a couple perspective, the vast majority of marriages last a lifetime. Yeah, so you got a four and five for guys, you got a four and four and five chance. Yeah, the nearly, vast yeah. majority of marriages last a lifetime. Now, that's the case for every marriage. There's certainly some high risk factors. You know what? You get married as a teenager, those divorce rates do hit 50%. But that's like, I think it's 4.7% of the population or something gets married at 17, 18, 19 years old. It's a tiny percentage. Yeah. So just for your audience to be aware that the overall divorce rates, look so scary and they're not. And the reality is, is that marriage is not something to be avoided because you think there's no chance of making it. You've got to go into it assuming, no, statistically, we'll probably make it. Yeah, I know you've got to go, but like you also had some good news about remarriages. If you do get divorced, Yes. I'm sure a lot of your audience is probably, you know, single again, right? We've got a fair number of divorce guys, I know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the remarriage rates are pure urban. The the divorce rates that you see, 60% of second marriages end in divorce. That is, turns out is a purely an urban legend. We tried to trace that and we traced every single source for years. We tried to trace it back to find the actual study that said that. And it turns out that all of those numbers, all of those books, television references, magazine articles, they all trace back to three sources, three citations that don't exist. It's a pure urban legend. It's so funny how often that happens. I see that in a lot of research. Yeah. Well, you know what? I At first, I started thinking, this is hysterical. And then I started to get mad because people are giving up too quickly 
on their second marriages because they're going into it expecting that it's probably going to fail. And so they start protecting themselves. They have that separate bank account on the side just in case because I think I'd be stupid not to. And it turns out those things actually build a wall. They cause a lack of trust and they cause the problem. You're, You're basically planning for the end of it when you sign a thing like that. The reality is about 71% of women are still married to their first spouse. Think about that number. About 65% on second marriages, 65% are still married to their second spouse. Now, 35% aren't. But by the way, that includes people who were married for years and their spouse passed away. That includes death and divorce. So that's a 65-35. And probably the divorce rate isn't 35. It's probably with death, it's probably maybe 30%. So the reality is you'd be actively unusual if your second marriage didn't make it. Your most second marriages last a lifetime. People need to know that. Yeah. That's and important. not avoid it out of fear. Thank you. Thank you very much for that. So just a few quick questions. What are the best ways for people to connect with you and learn more about you and your work? The best way is Shanti.com. My first name is spelled S-H-A-U-N-T-I.com. I know it's unusual, but Shanti.com is is kind of the think tank. It's where all of my resources and all the research can be accessed in one way or another. Great, great. Thank you so much. Is there anyone besides yourself you'd recommend for high quality advice? Anyone you've seen, looked up to? Yeah, I mean, John Gottman does fantastic work in the research arena and has identified some of the stuff about men needing respect and kind of that feeling of contempt is the thing that'll push that button the most. And there's all sorts of other good resources out there that, oh, I love them. One at family.org. Family.org is a fantastic resource. Lots and lots of great articles and I mean, there's just a lot of good stuff out there once you start searching. Great, great. Thank you. What would be your top three recommendations to guys starting from scratch? They don't really have any knowledge or experience or relationships. How would they improve that situation as fast as possible? You know, the top three tips, honestly. Well, let me just give you the top one. Okay, great. (laughs) Which is to become a student of relationships. I mean, just the same way that if you're trying to learn a new job, you'd study, you'd look at how people responded when you did such and such, and you'd really be attentive. You'd never kind of, at least people who cared about their job, they'd never just go on autopilot. Well, you know what? Don't do that for your relationships either. You know, become a student of what women think. And in particular, if you've got a woman you're interested in, consider how she thinks and try to learn it and realize she is probably wired very differently from you. That's the whole reason we wrote for men only, right? Is because we wanted to quantify what most men would see in most women in some of these areas and be able to see if it applies to this woman or not. So become a student. It'll really help. Excellent advice. Thank you so much for your time today, Shanti. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Sure thing. You too. Take care. Take control of your dating life today. Take one idea or one insight from today's episode and apply it today. Don't wait. Do it today. That's all it takes to change your life, step by step, episode by episode. Learn more about what I, Angel Donovan, and my team do at DatingSkillsReview.com how we help men like you take control of their dating lives.